This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. I have the pleasure of having Heidi Vandermaden, the winemaker at Mary Edwards, and we'll get into that in a little bit, after receiving her degree in chemistry from Santa Clara University in 97 and teaching high school chemistry in Tanzania, Africa with the Peace Corps, Heidi decided to put her chemistry background to work and came back to wine country. She returned to Sonoma County and became a lab technician for Kenwood Vineyards during the harvest of 2000. She completed four harvests there, working her way up to enologist. In 2004, she joined Moritzen Winery as assistant winemaker, overseeing the day-to-day activities in the winery. But in 2007, Heidi jumped at the opportunity to work with Richard Arrowood as associate winemaker for Arrowood Winery. I mean, who wouldn't? After working under his mentorship for three years, Heidi was promoted to winemaker when Richard Arrowood departed. She made Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and Rhone-style wines, but longed to learn more about her favorite wine, Pinot Noir. That learning opportunity came in 2015 when Mary Edwards chose Heidi to be her associate winemaker. Working closely with Mary, she's been involved in all aspects of the winemaking process. Heidi has particularly enjoyed the making of a brand new Mary Edwards single vineyard designate called Bucher Pinot Noir, and also participating in creating Vintage 20, a cuvee that celebrated the 20th anniversary of the Mary Edwards brand. At the beginning of the 2018 harvest, Mary announced that Heidi would succeed her as winemaker, becoming the only other person to hold that position at Mary Edwards Winery other than Mary herself. Today, Heidi looks forward to helping the winery not only continue to grow, but to thrive in years to come. And Heidi, it is a pleasure to have you here with me today on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So Heidi, huge, huge deal. I mean, Mary Edwards, an amazing brand, an amazing woman, a storied winemaker in her own right. You've been chosen to take over the reins as the only other winemaker at Mary Edwards Winery other than Mary Edwards herself. What is it about you that Mary saw? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. Um, I don't think I thought about it when I first met Mary. I was more thinking about the potential to learn from one of the best I wanted to learn how to make Pinot Noir and Mary is one of the best winemakers to learn from. She's an expert in Russian River Pinot Noir. She has so much experience here. And I was just excited to have the opportunity to learn from her. When we first met, a mutual friend introduced us and Mary and I went out for lunch And we sat there and chatted in this restaurant for probably three hours or longer uh, about winemaking, about our philosophies in winemaking, um, uh, everything from, you know, broad vision to, so how do you feel about adding acid to wine? Things like that. And one of the things she told me is she liked the fact that I did not have Pinot Noir in my background or very much Pinot Noir experience. Uh, because she didn't want to undo anybody's uh, other, what she considered somebody else's uh, bad habits. <laughs> she wanted a clean slate. Sort of so, mold you uh, in her, in, mold you as her own lump of clay, if you will. Yeah, there you go. 
since I was working with mostly Cabernet and Zinfandel and Rhone varieties in my career, then um, it was truly a full-on learning experience for me with Pinot Noir. So, you know, Mary Edwards Winery, I mean, they make a lot of different Pinot Noirs and they all have their distinctive characteristics and their own, you know, for lack of a better word, their own personalities. I'm, I'm curious, what is it about the Pinot Noir grape that you really wanted? What drew you to the Pinot Noir grape? I mean, here you you were very well known as a winemaker in Cabernet and, and Chardonnay, and yet you wanted to make Pinot Noir. Why? Well, I noticed uh, when I look in my wine cabinet for something to drink, there was always a ton of Cabernets in there and Chardonnays, but never any Pinot Noirs. And uh, it's because I was always drinking the Pinot Noirs. <laughs> um, it's what I've always gravitated for towards and especially Russian River Pinot Noirs. I like the fruitiness. I like the dark fruit that Russian River Pinots can give. I think there's a really a nice vibrancy to the wines and complexity that you get out of the Russian River that's more fruit-driven than maybe those earthy notes that you would get from other areas within California or even other wine-growing regions in the world. Um, and I'm more drawn to that those fruit-driven pinots. So um, that really was something that I shared with Mary. And we have vineyards throughout the Russian River Valley from up in the most northern part, just south of Healdsburg, in what is known as the middle reach of the Russian River Valley. So there's little, we're calling them neighborhoods these days, that um, the Russian River Valley wine growers are looking into. And these are historical terms that we call these neighborhoods. So the Middle Reach, Laguna Ridge, Santa Rosa Plains. And it seems that the Pinot Noirs grown in each region really show a distinct fingerprint. And they've even done some research with Roger Bolton at UC Davis recently showing these distinct fingerprints. Um, but I think just tasting the different areas and wines coming from each area will show you that there's differences in each place. And because of that and owning vineyards throughout the Russian River Valley in many of these places, we are able to make these very distinct vineyard designates. It's interesting that you talk about the kind of the fruit characteristics of the Russian River Valley Pinot Noirs. And of course, Pinot Noir is, is a, a wonderful grape. I, I was once told by a master sommelier who kind of as a, a self-proclaimed expert on Pinot Noir, he said something very interesting. He said that Pinot Noir is one of the very few grapes where a winemaker can really influence the outcome of, of Pinot Noir based on where it's grown, how it's grown, when it's picked, uh, what's the cooperage they choose to use, and what, you know, are they doing whole berry? Are they doing, you know, whole cluster? And and I just thought that was a really interesting comment because Pinot Noir is such a delicate and, and lovely grape that it really does seem like it takes the care and feeding of, of the winemaker. And when we talk about that berry characteristic of the Russian rivers, I think of it as a, and, and please, I'm glad we're doing this over Zoom so you can't hit me, but I, I think of those as maybe more of a masculine style of, of Pinot Noir compared to what I would think of as a more, maybe a feminine style of 
Burgundy. And by the way, no right or wrong there. I'm not I'm not making a judgment at all. It's really more just an observation because there are days where I want that savory, bolder Pinot Noir uh, in my glass. So just kind of wanted to get your take on on the thought of of Pinot Noir and, and the influence a winemaker has over it. Well, I think definitely a winemaker can make a big influence on the Pinot Noir. But if you taste Russian River Pinots from um, multiple producers, you'll notice a, a common thread throughout all of Russian River Pinots with this cherry fruit and structure and darker fruit coming through rather than like red fruit coming from Sonoma Coast. And then from there, the winemaker can make some choices. So I am making a much more bold Pinot Noir compared to some of my my uh, colleagues. So yeah, if you want to call it masculine, you can. But definitely, it's uh, I would say it's more of a steak wine than some of your other Pinot Noirs. <laughs> it, it's big, it's bold, it has big tannins, structure. We actually are testing the phenolic content of our Pinot Noirs and doing things in the vineyard and in the cellar to try and push the envelope on that. So maybe rather than be, say, masculine, let's be non-gender specific or non-binary, as we like <laughs> to say, in, in this very PC day and age. We'll just say it's a, a bolder style Pinot Noir. <laughs> Which, by the way, I love and I do. I have to moment of truth. I adore the Mary Edwards Pinot Noir. And so when I was actually able, when I found out that we were able to do this uh, interview, I was so excited, so excited. Thank and, you. I'll, and I'll share something with you in a minute. But uh, while Mary Edwards is known really predominantly for their Pinot Noir, you also have a very popular Sauvignon Blanc. Are, are you making that as well? Yes, Originally, Mary was not going to make a white wine from this winery. She only wanted to make Pinot Noir, and that was it. But she started doing winemaker dinners, and everybody wanted to start with a nice white wine. And she realized that Psalms and restaurateurs were offering her competitors wines as to start off her winemaker dinners. So uh, she had made some Sauvignon Blanc at Matanzas Creek, and that's where she came up with the style of our current wine. And her sister loved it, and her sister encouraged her to go ahead and try and make a Sauvignon Blanc in that style for our winery. And that was the birth of our Sauvignon Blanc. And it's grown to about half of our production now. <laughs> I did not know half of your, wow, that's, well, it is, it is different than a lot of Sauvignon Blancs on the market. It is. It's not uh, your grassy porch wine coiffer. It's a very complex Sauvignon Blanc. It's a serious wine. We've made it in that way. Uh, Mary did not like Sauvignon Blancs at the time that were out on the market. So she challenged herself to make a Sauvignon Blanc that she liked. So I would say we're making it more in the style of what a lot of winemakers would do with a Chardonnay. It's barrel fermented. We leave it on the lees. We stir the lees twice a week throughout barrel aging. It has 18% French oak, but it's 100% French oak overall. 18% new French oak, I should right, say. Right. And it's, it's really a labor of love. I think that... Other producers are making it in stainless steel style, trying to get their Sauvignon Blanc to market quickly, grabbing that freshness. We're trying to get some more of those complex, more aged barrel, secondary aromas, plus all the nice fruit and richness into our Sauvignon Blanc. 
and mission accomplished. I'm curious, is it 100% Sauvignon Blanc? Do you blend in any Sauvignon or is it? No, it's 100% Sauvignon Blanc, but wow. it's about two thirds of the Shenandoah clone Sauvignon Blanc and one third of the Sauvignon Musquet clone. So we're getting, that's where some of those floral notes that you get from the aromatics come from, the Musquet clone. And then also we're doing a lot of work in the vineyards to encourage more of the tropical fruit flavors. So we're giving our, our Sauvignon Blanc a lot of uh, sunlight exposure, trying to get the pyrazines, those green components out of the grapes mm -hmm. from the sunlight and ripening it until the acid comes down to uh, a more rich level, more palatable level. Whereas some other producers might pick at a at a lower pH than we do, we are waiting until the pH is getting to above uh, 3.35. Oh, okay. really geeky there. <laughs> and I assume that the creaminess that I, I associate with the Mary Edwards, and creaminess may not be the, actually the right word, maybe that just the rich, the rich mouthfeel, a better description for that wine. Mm -hmm. The rich mouthfeel uh, comes from the stirring of the lees. Yes. We really, you know, the baptonage, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Twice a week for almost six months. And, and it works great. I mean, it, it just works great. So back to Pinot Noir for, for just a second. How many different Pinot Noirs are you making at Mary Edwards right now? It depends on the vintage, but usually around nine. Wow. Are they all vineyard designate? Are they cuvées or... They're all vineyard designated except for our Russian River Valley Appalachian wine and our Sonoma Coast Appalachian wine. And then every few years we'll come up with a special cuvee like our Vintage 20, which was a cuvee that celebrated our 20th anniversary. Um, or there was a couple of years that Mary wanted to make wines to commemorate the birth of her grandchildren. So we made our Cuvée August to commemorate the birth of her granddaughter, August. And the Cuvée Charles Lee to commemorate the birth of her grandson, Charles Lee. So um, we do fun things like that, depending on the year and what strikes her fancy. That is really cool. You know, and, and just to touch on Mary herself for just a moment, she really is a rock star and um, yes. and also she's quite the trailblazer as a woman coming into the wine industry when it was really you know, a fairly novel thing to have women winemakers in the wine industry, in, at least in California. So I know that she's blazed an amazing trail, but here you are now firmly behind the wheel at Mary Edwards. Again, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, only the second winemaker other than Mary herself to ever be the winemaker there. What are your plans to make your mark on the Mary Edwards brand? First of all, I came here because I love Mary's wines and I wanted to learn from her and learn her style. I didn't come here with the intent of changing everything. I wanted to learn how to make wines that I loved. So if you see any changes, it's not because I'm coming in and changing things up right away. I want to change it and make it into Heidi's wine. It's going to be an evolution. And I think if you look at Mary's wines over the years, there you'll see an evolution in, in flavor profile and quality as vineyard techniques change, as, as vineyards age, you know, they'll change in profile as a vineyard is a young vineyard versus later on in its life, 20 years down the road, it's going to give different flavor profiles. As that evolution occurs, you'll see an evolution in the wines. I am always looking to improve quality, 
learn new things and, you know, I'm trialing things and trialing new trellising and leafing out in the vineyard, things like that. And that's going to change up how the wines turn out. And um, I'm just looking to make them better. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited about what the future holds for you and, and where you go from here, because it's such an iconic brand. The Pinot Noirs really are stunning. And as a matter of fact, we're heading into my favorite portion of the podcast. What's in your glass? All right. <laughs> so I, so we, we don't get paid a lot for sound effects around here. So <laughs> That was good, though. That was really good. So I'm going to lose it. So Heidi, what's in your glass? Well, I have two glasses in front of me today. So uh, the first one is our 2018 Sonoma Coast wine. So this is the cuvee that you asked if they were all in your designate. So this is one of our cuvees. It's an Appalachian wine. So this is a wine that's intentionally made by barrel selection. When we make our Pinots, we'll taste through all of our wines and designate which barrels will become our vineyard designates. And then what's left over will go into our Appalachian wines. It'll either be our Russian River or Sonoma Coast wines. Um, A lot of the Russian River and Sonoma Coast are overlapping. And so all of our Russian River vineyards actually also lie in the Sonoma Coast Appalachian. Okay. So I can take all of those barrels and decide which wine it's going to go in based off of flavor profile. So I'll taste through all of these wines blind and my winemaking team and I will, will judge them as like Sonoma Coast, Russian River, Sonoma Coast, Russian River, based off of what we taste and what we um, envision this wine to be. So the Sonoma Coast is a blend of the wines that have the most red fruit profile Okay. A little bit of earthiness, might be higher acidity, a little bit brighter, basically something that you would expect from a Sonoma Coast, that raspberry, a little bit of cranberry and mushroom and forest floor. So, so that's you're blending, you're blending to a specific style that, yes. that you have kind of in your head that you're like, this is what I think it should be. Exactly. Very cool. And I should probably point out, we're talking about Pinot Noir when you're talking yes. about raspberry, cranberry and mushroom and forest floor. <laughs> So I have our, our 2018 Sonoma Coast here. And 2018 was a really nice harvest. Um, it was a little bit warmer, but none of the big heat spikes like we had had in 2017 or in 2020. Um, it was more of a mild year, but warmer. So it has really lush, ripe tannins. All of our 2018 Pinots have really beautiful, lush tannins and rich mouthfeel. So that's one thing I really like about this wine is the mouthfeel. It's, it's, it's yummy. And yummy. that <laughs> technical term, yummy, for, yummy from the winemaker. Well, all wines the... have to have a yummy factor. <laughs> yeah, it's um, this is our wine that we make to drink right away. Okay. It should be a wine that you can open a, a bottle in and drink a glass. You know, this is a wine by the glass. Or you can have it with a meal and, and, and it has a little bit more complexity too. But this is... This is probably our lightest Pinot Noir structure-wise. What would you pair it with? If you were having sit down to dinner, what, what would this go with? I'm thinking this one would be good with like some salmon, you know, something that's a, a 
heavier fish, either that or maybe a pork loin with like some cranberry or sorry, um, cherry sauce. That'd be yummy. Oh, cool. And what's next? What's in your, okay. what's in the, the next other class? one? The other one is our 2017 Meredith Pinot Noir. So the Meredith is our flagship vineyard. That was the vineyard that Mary purchased in 1998. It was actually an abandoned apple orchard that she converted into a vineyard. And that was her first piece of land. And then she in turn took that and used that as collateral to form the Mary Edwards winery brand and later winery. So this is um, where it all began. It's a vineyard in the Sebastopol Hills area. So it's one of the cooler areas right. of the Russian River Valley. Um, that said, it definitely doesn't have those red, uh, red fruit characteristics that you might think of from more of a coastal site. Uh, this is really black fruit and dark fruit driven. It's interesting. I don't know why, but at this site, the grapes tend to give really, really dark, dark color. Now, part of it is because of the clones we have there, which are UCD 37. That's Mary's own clone that she found. And, <laughs> and yeah, she has her own clone. Wow. Why don't they just call it the Mary Edwards clone? <laughs> <laughs> well, we call it UCD 37, the official name. Okay. Um, so that's Mary's clone. It has very small berries. We also have 667, which also has very small berries and uh, dark fruit profile. Both of these because of the size of their berries and the skin to pulp ratio give you dark color. But for some reason at the Meredith site, it's taken to a whole nother level. I swear. Sometimes you look at these wines and think there was a little bit of petite Syrah planted out there or something. Wow. There's some dark. It's really amazing. And in addition, this has a really nice structure and, and big, robust tannins. This is probably the most bold, biggest wine that we make, but yet there's an elegance to the tannins. I think the elegance really comes from the UCD 37 uh, clone, whereas 667 is a little bit more of a heavy hitter. The 37 balances it out with elegance to kind of give this wine a little bit more complexity than you might expect from, from Pinot Noir. So. so the UCD 37, is that a nod to UC Davis? Is that what UCD stands for? Yes. Okay. So when Mary was at Mount Eden in her first vineyard, uh, first winemaking job in the seventies, she took a cutting from the Mount Eden vineyards and brought it to UC Davis and had it heat treated. Um, so that is in their foundation plant uh, services nursery as UCD 37. That's the clone. So it's a selection, a field selection that she chose. Well, I'm going to call it the Mary Edwards clone. So there. <laughs> there you go. So back to the wine you were you were describing it, and I was just admiring the color of it. I just we're we're on Zoom, and even though I can see the audio of it, and you have this beautiful sunlight coming in behind you, and I just I can't believe that's Pinot Noir in your glass. <laughs> well, it's got to look good too. It has to be appetizing. That's one thing Mary yeah. always wanted to make sure I knew is it has to have a really nice appetizing color. So it's something we always focus on. And like I said, we measure the phenolic content of our wines. So we're also measuring this on a daily basis uh, during our cold soak and then um, throughout fermentation. But, um, but it's so dark. It. I mean, it really is. It's so it is. dark. And then the, the aromatics and the flavors really follow through with that. So you have aromatics of really dark fruit, dark cherry, 
um, even some figs, some plum, blackberry, a little bit of blueberry in there too. And then on the palate, again, those fruit flavors follow through a little bit of earth, but it's more fruit driven, dark fruit driven. I love Pinot Noir because it's one of those grapes, as I said earlier, where the winemaker does have some influence, but it's also very terroir driven. And it's one of those wines where I can really kind of dial in what it is I'm looking for. You know, whether it's a Pinot Noir from Willamette or a Pinot Noir from Sonoma Coast or the Russian River or even Burgundy, it's it's just one of those wines that I kind of feel that there's this range that's very appealing to me based on what I'm after uh, that day or, or that evening or that meal. And I'm just curious, this 2017 Meredith, it just looks so stunning. And, you know, the way you're describing it, what would be on your plate when you were opening this wine? Uh, I think this would be my steak wine. Yeah. Or maybe some lamb. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We just uh, purchased a lamb from a local farmer and uh, had it this week. It was gorgeous. Just, you know, really fresh and mild flavors, but also like good texture. And with this Meredith, um, yummy. Well, again, yummy. (laughs) The technical term. (laughs) Very cool. Well, I actually have a surprise for you, Heidi. Cool. Right? So I wasn't going to let this go by without showing you my bottle of, and you probably can't see it. Ah, I I can can, see it. But this is my house Sauvignon Blanc. And I opened it last night to have with grilled shrimp. And for those of you who are wondering what I'm showing, Heidi, it's the 2018 Mary Edwards, Russian River Valley, Sauvignon Blanc. So I am going to now drink this while you drink your Pinot Noir. (laughs) And I've been looking forward to this all day. This is just beautiful gobs of gooseberry and and floral, uh, a floral lift of like orange blossom and kind of this um, almost like a lemon lime pop coming out on the on the nose and i'm just so excited i get to drink this it's so rare during a zoom call you know now the age of you know these virtual interviews but i'm i was really looking forward to interviewing you today just so i could you know kind of share a glass of my mary edward sauvignon blanc with you (laughs) thank you this is fun yeah and again oh my gosh that mouthfeel is just ethereal it has the lightness, brightness of a Sauvignon Blanc, exactly what you would expect out of a Sauvignon Blanc. It's juicy and getting, you know, it's just coating the tongue. But then it just sits there a little bit longer than a typical Sauvignon Blanc. And I feel like this, it's more elegant, if I could use that word for a Sauvignon Blanc. I, I think I can. Uh, it's a, um, it feels richer and more complete. Would not necessarily, and while I wouldn't kick this out of my hammock, I really think that this is such a food-friendly Sauvignon Blanc because it just opens up your palate just from tip to the back. And this this 2018, well done, really well done. I, I think it's just a gorgeous wine, and I'm just I was so excited to be able to, I guess, share it with you. Although you don't have it in your glass, I have it in mine. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it really is. I mean, I'm telling you, this is our house Sauvignon Blanc. My wife is a Sauvignon Blanc snob. She uh, really loves uh, Sauvignon Blancs from the Loire Valley. And awesome. this is one of the few um, domestic Sauvignon Blancs that we stock up in our fridge. So I can't, uh, can't wait to tell her that I interviewed you. Matter of fact, she'll be a little jealous that I opened this without her. <laughs> well, I hope you're going to save some for her for, for later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> of course. So. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah I'm, I'm not fond of sleeping on the couch, so I'll definitely save there you some. Go. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Heidi. This was just such a genuine pleasure. I am so excited about your future at Mary Edwards. I think you're going to be making some brilliant Pinot Noirs. Can't wait to dive in and, and try the 18s and on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. I was going to say being here, but I'm in my office. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you and sharing these wines with you today. Again, well, thank you. And thank you for being here. And I just really appreciate the time you took. And I know you've got a busy schedule, so uh, it just makes it that much more special. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.